When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. All right, we are back with our third episode of this miniseries with Dr. Justin Short. Today we're going to talk about leadership. We're kind of starting these off with a little bit more mindset questions, and then I promise we'll dive into the meat here. I just I, We both think it's really important that we start with these kind of bigger topics because, as Justin said in the first episode, it's so much more important that your mindset is correct than anything else, and that'll really determine your success. So let's just go ahead and jump into leadership. How are you doing today, Justin? Good, G-Money. How are you doing? <laughs> Man, you said that in the episode, didn't you? <laughs> It's funny, Richard always says, um, you know, how's it going, George? And I really have nothing other to say than good, you know, in the intro. So I, I understand your perspective. Let's just go ahead and dive right in. Um, when it comes to leadership, why don't you just go ahead and take it away? All right. It's a, it's a pretty wide open topic there. You know, I, I think when it comes to leadership, number one, it begins with you. Um, it begins with the doctor, the leader of the office. If I had, if I rank 10 practices based on numbers and efficiency from um, best to worst, um, and you know, let's say office intercommunication staff issues, stuff like that. I think those at the top you would find are definitely are the ones with the best leaders at the helm. So, in leadership, everything matters. You know, everything in your office rises and falls with your leadership, whether you want to take that or not. Some of you are probably glad to hear that. Some of you are probably not glad to hear that, but it's the truth. And so then. What kind of priorities does a leader have or something like that that would set them apart from, you know, just anybody else? Well, the way I rank them, um, you know, in the course and when working with docs is, number one, a leadership or a leader's priorities, the doctor's priorities, to me, should look like, number one, patients, number two, their team, and number three, their selves. Leaders look out for their own needs last and... They know their rising tide lifts all ships. The the better, more confident and secure my team, the more I succeed. The better my patients feel about themselves in my office, the more successful I am. And that's been the case, and that's kind of what we live and die on at my office. So is that something that you actually you know, talk with your staff about like all the time? Is patients first, then you guys, then me? Um, I don't necessarily tell them where I rank them you know i i try to do my best to lead by example and let them know um that i put their needs before my own a lot but we definitely talk about and we'll probably touch on this later but when one of our biggest mantras or mo's in our office is i always want the patient leaving feeling not necessarily better about our office but i want the patient leaving feeling better about themselves you know i think that's um, one of the true measures of a leader. If someone leaves your presence feeling better about themselves than when they started. Okay. And so in the course of regards to leadership, you talk about this law of the lid and you kind of use this analogy and then you go through these things that we'll kind of hit one by one as we go and I'll bring them up and then you can elaborate on them. But first, why don't you just go ahead and explain what this lid is and the law of the lid for our listeners. Yeah, so the law of the lid is from John Maxwell's book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And I think it's a great book on leadership. I think it's a great place to start. 
um, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to spend some time learning under John and yeah, I wouldn't say we're that close where I can just call him John, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but I, he's, I think he's considered definitely one of the world's best leadership gurus. And the idea is the law of the lid is the lid is the cap on your leadership ability. You know, your practice will never rise above your lid. You can't have a practice that's a 10 with a leader at the helm that's a six. You know, you can't have a practice that's a 10 unless you just are busting your butt way harder than you need to with a team of sixes and sevens. And, you know, I always, I think I refer to the survey I have on my website that doctors fill out and I have a place for them to kind of rank their team or say how they feel about their team. And, and I also have a place for them to list their goals for their practice. And, you know, most of the time, the goals that they list are goals that I would consider a lot of times like of a 10 practice. You know, I think a high production, high collections, low overhead, low stress, low time in the office. Like to me, that's a 10. And you're not going to get that with a team that's below average or even average. So I think another thing that Maxwell says is true measurement. The true measurement of leadership is influence. And influence is, you know, kind of just from a definition standpoint. It's the capacity to have an effect on the character, behavior, or development on someone or something. If your influence is low, people don't want to listen to you or follow you. So if that's the case, how do you motivate your team? How do you motivate your patients to follow you or take action on your ideas or treatment suggestions? And bottom line is, when your influence is low, you can't do that. So leaderships, to me, it's one of the most core, fundamental, important thing in your office, if not the most important. So are you is what you're saying with this lid that, you know, potentially a better leader could take a six staff member and make them an eight or a nine? Um, is that something you think is possible? I do think it's possible. You know, I think, you know, I hate to say that anyone's limited, but obviously it's easier to take a, a seven to an eight or a nine than a six to an eight or a nine. And, you know, on down the line, you know, I think it would be really hard if you hire a person that has zero interpersonal skills and zero dental skills and they start off as a one or two, you know, you've got quite a long daunting road ahead of you to get them up to that 10 level. I'm not saying it could be done, but it's just more work. And, you know, but I still think there are many things you can do to raise your level of leadership. Very few of us are, um, you know, just born a, a 10 as far as leadership skills go. You know, I think it's definitely one of those things, like most things in our lives that we have to work on to improve, make them a priority, sacrifice to get um, to a higher level and be a more effective leader. Yeah, I really like that. I like how, you know, when you think leadership, you think of these innate born, you know, really well-spoken, you know, charismatic, influential people. But you kind of go through these 15 things that we'll hit right now about raising your lid. Like, I remember the first one you said was reflecting on your experiences. You yeah. know, can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, number one, and I'm just going to take your word for it, was reflecting on your experiences. And what that means to me is you have to take time to reflect and then take action based off the experience experiences you have. Um, just having the experience to me is not good enough if you don't do anything or you don't change anything based off that. 
And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, say I leave the room after doing a, a hygiene new patient exam. And let's say when I walk out of the room, I just felt like, man, I could just tell that patient was not taking what I was putting out there. You know, for whatever reason, we just did not click. We can, we did not connect. Um, I'll do my best to just stop right there and think for a minute, you know, what could I have done better? You know, did I, you know, was I not personable enough Did I not talk to them and try to build rapport enough? Um, who knows what it was? Um, but what could I have done better so that I can improve for next time? You know, same thing when something goes well. You know, I may leave a room and say, hey, I just met that patient. We really hit it off. Why was that different than the patient I just described? Um, I'm constantly trying to build my rapport with patients. Um, and like over time, sorry, and over time as I tweak, you know, things based off the experiences I have, my skills improve. But it's definitely intentional doesn't happen by accident and it doesn't happen if I just leave that room and jump right into the next thing and never think about it again. Yeah, I totally agree. I really like that. And so it's almost like a thing that you're doing throughout the day constantly as opposed to like at the end of the day reflecting on your entire day. Right. You know, I think, you know, sometimes obviously too busy to really spend a lot of time, but as much as I can, I do that. And I did, I used, I've done it a lot more in the past than I have to do now. Um, which I think is a good thing. You want to be improving, so you have to do less and less tweaks over time. But, you know, I, did, I wasn't just going to leave it up to chance. I wasn't just going to go room to room my whole career and be like, eh, that person didn't like me. Eh, that person, I could tell that wasn't trusting what I was telling them um, and being okay with that. You know, like I made a point like, hey, I know interpersonal skills is what, to me, is what is going to make or break my practice. And that's what I wanted to prove. And that's why I work with doctors to improve on like, You've got to get that down. So, I think that point kind of where you talk about having to, you know, you don't have to do it as much anymore kind of falls into your second one where you say learn to be consistent. Yeah. Um, that's the second thing that you say to raise your lid. Can you kind of elaborate on that one? Yeah. So we all have up, up days and down days. You know, it's just part of it. Some days, you know, you're the dog. Some days you're the hydrant. The key for me is to minimize others seeing your down days. You know, for example... When I, I use the example of my kids in the ocean, like when I go in the ocean, they're all like, oh my gosh, we're going to get eaten by sharks. And I tell them like, hey, there's no sharks in, you know, this part of the ocean or, you know, there's no, you don't have to worry about it. Dad's with you, whatever. But I do that to put them at ease, even though the whole time, like I'm looking at every waves, you know, looking for a shark. Um, you know, what I used to have up and down months and even though I would kind of be freaking out on the inside like crap why is our production down 10 or 15 thousand this month you know i would come up with some plausible reason to explain to my team why we were down um my you know my might not be the best explanation but i would give them something and let show them like hey i'm not worried about it like i know us i know what we're going to capable of i know what we're going to do um because i wanted to put them at ease that's what i think a good leader does um, your team and your patients always take their cues from you. If you're stressed out and you throw a fit every time something doesn't go right in your office, then they're going to think they can do that too. I never want my team or patients to see me sweat. I, you know, I keep it together, not because it's always easy for me to keep it together or because I always want to. Um, I want to blow up just like every other person does. 
but I keep it together for the sake of my team and my patients. And leadership is about holding back your emotions to make it easier on your team and your patients and those around you. And I have another example, um, you know, if we have time. Yeah, go for it. me off at any point. But my sister-in-law had a root canal not too long ago. Um, she lives, I won't, she lives in Minnesota. I was, was going to say I can't say the state, but it's not like that really narrows it down too much. But she was getting a root canal done, and she said she could tell by little things the doctor was saying that he was getting stressed out. She could tell things weren't going well. Um, she knew something was just not happening the way it should be. Um, you know, she. I think she even mentioned she could see like beads of sweat starting to form on his forehead, and. To me, like we've all had those procedures. It doesn't make him a bad dentist. Um, but I think the difference between him and a strong leader is like, I'm not going to let my team and my patient, especially my patient, know that. You know, because when she walks out of there, I mean, first thing she does is call me. And you can guess how high her confidence is in that dentist at that point. And you can also guess I'm not the only one she told that story to. So, I keep it together for everyone else and which ultimately helps me as well. Absolutely. I think that that to be tough, you know, for me, especially sometimes, but I think for everybody, but I agree with the importance of it. And absolutely. Uh, your next one that you said on your, on your lecture was to never talk bad about someone behind their back. Right. Unless I think I said, unless it was Richard Lowe. Yes. I think the, yeah. I think, I think okay. that was an edit at the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think the easiest way to lower your credibility or trust level is to talk about someone behind their back. Like, I hate, I can't stand that. I've seen it work both good and bad. I've seen good leaders talk about someone behind their back. And in, in my mind, it automatically lowered their leadership in my eyes. Warranted, you know, regardless of what they said uh, was true or not. I didn't care. Like, to me, like a strong leader, you hold your tongue. And vice versa. I've seen leaders just thrown softballs where it would be so easy to chime in and disparage someone else. And they held their tongue and it instantly raised their credibility in my eyes. You know, if, if team members hear you talking bad about other team members, then, you know, it's definitely going to lower their trust level with you period. You know, if they think if he does it about her or him, he's going to do it about me. And bottom line is people don't follow who they don't trust in the story. And so is this in regards to team members only, or is this kind of even like a, a patient that kind of is more difficult or something like that? You know, I think, obviously, sometimes it's, I think you can commiserate a little bit, you know, but I would never talk bad about someone who's coming to my office, paying me money, putting food on my table, paying for my kid's college fund. I'm not going to be like, you know what, Mrs. Smith sucks. Um, I hate her. I hate when she comes in. It ruins my day. She's a horrible person. I may say, hey, you know what? That was tough. You know, like, great job in there. That was tough getting to number two when Mrs. Smith only opens a quarter of a centimeter. But I would not, you know, when they walk out of the office, you know, talk bad about them. I just think it's disrespectful. I think it lowers your leadership in your team's eyes. You know, you need to keep yourself um, above reproach, you know, as much as you can to them. Set yourself um, a higher bar. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that, you know, I think we could all can all improve on. Um, I know I could. And um, kind of next one you talk about is uh, quick and firm with your reprimands. Yeah. 
Um, you know, if, if I had to talk to my team about something, I don't wait. I don't stress about it. I don't go home at night and be like, man, this is driving me nuts. I call them in my office. I talk to them. One sec, I'm going to sneeze. <clears throat> All right. Let me start over on that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't wait. I don't stress. I, I call them in my office. Um, I explain you know, the behavior that needs to be addressed, that needs to be modified. Um, I tell them what's expected, and I let them leave my office being loved just as much as they were before the incident happened. I try to keep really short accounts. You know, I think I tell them, I tell my team to keep short accounts with each other, and I keep short accounts with them as well. I always want them to know where they stand um, with me. I don't want them walking around thinking, just waiting, you know, I messed up there. I know Dr. Short's going to read me for that. Um, if I see something that needs to be handled, I call in my office, we deal with it. Um, you know, I tell them that I'm glad they're still part of the team. I'm glad to tell them that they're still an awesome person, an awesome worker, but we need to modify this. And when you go out of here, consider you're going to handle it and we're done and we move on. So, And I think this is kind of a big topic. You don't mind if I kind of pry in a little bit and kind of specifically what do you say? Because so let's just say you see something you don't like, big or small. Um, mm -hmm. You always do it in private and you always pull them aside. Yeah. Um, you know, I always praise in public and in private, but I only reprimand in private. You know, I think it's, to me, it's just disrespectful, um, you know, to lay into someone. And not that I'm laying in or yelling or anything, but, you know, I don't want to be called out in front of a bunch of my peers. It makes me feel stupid. Um, so I try not to do that for the team. You know, I call in my office, say, hey, um, you know, I don't know. It could be whatever you know let's say you we offer uh fluoride to all of our adult cleaning patients you know let's say i saw one of my hygienists not doing that when they know that's just something we do every patient you don't have to think about it you just know that's part of what we do um and if i see that not happening i'll call them in say hey lauren um did you offer fluoride to so-and-so no i was running behind blah 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 well you know, just kind of let her know, like, you know, that's what we do. That's part of our culture. Um, you know, I need you to start doing that and not missing again, but I still think you're awesome and I expect you to, you're going to handle it and we're going to move on period. I kind of like that end part. So you kind of always wrap it up with like, you know, I still really value your contributions to the team. Um, you know, and let's move on because right. I think, you know, you can kind of feel like, Oh, they're mad at me, you know? Right, and then it kind of lingers. So you'd like to yeah. end it, and does that is that effective? No, I think it's very effective. Um, you know, I I always try to build them up. I mean, if they weren't good, they wouldn't be on my team. Um, that doesn't mean we can't all improve, myself included. And I also know the more that you can praise, um, the more that you can tell them what they mean to you, um, the easier it is when you have to bring up something that's not easy to bring up you know if the only time i ever talked to lauren is when she screwed up you know how's our relationship going to be how's our morale going to be in the office how is you know she trusts me when she knows i'm going to praise her for the things she does well 
that inc- increases her trust in me. So she knows she can trust and know that I have her best interest when I have to bring something to her attention that is not as good. Yeah, I think I think honestly, this is kind of the thing that um, us newbies, I think, struggle with the most. Or you know, in my case, these are the situations where I'm like, I don't know how to handle this. You know, and then on that same token, your next one is praise in public and private. Um, so can you kind of elaborate on that? We've kind of already hit it, but you know. Sure. Um, you know, like I said, I, I never reprimand in front of other team members, but I will praise um, team members in front of other team members. Like not necessarily like gather around everybody, look what so-and-so did today. But, you know, just, hey, great job. I appreciate that. I know it was tough or thanks for staying late tonight um, or working, you know, through part of your lunch. I really appreciate it. So other people hear that. Um, So I may also still call them in my office and thank them for some action where they really went above and beyond. Um, If you want to increase a certain behavior, and I think this is important, you know, it's more effective to praise the good behavior you want than to call out the bad. Um, and I think you can also lead your patients. I know you can. You know, what if I say to a patient, George, I'm always impressed on how you don't wait when we tell you something that needs to be treated. And I know it's had a positive effect on your teeth. So I just want to tell you congratulations or tell you that, you know, I think that's really good. You know, I may say that you don't just have to say that once a week. I may say it five times a day after I tell a patient that. I mean, how likely do you think that George is going to walk out and go somewhere else? Or how likely do you think it is going to be that next time I tell George he needs something done, that now he's going to wait after I just commended him on being so good at not waiting? You know, it's a little things for me in my practice that really add up in the long term to make us more successful. I think that's kind of a big a big concept um, that we're, we're touching on here where leadership applies both to your patients and your staff. Um, I thought Paul Homily touches on it quite a bit. Um, yep. And I think you just kind of showed right there, you know, leadership is huge with your patient base, case acceptance, all those things, as much as it is with your team. Yeah, it definitely is. I think, like you said, a lot of us tend to to overlook that. But when you start to, you know, I'm not going to make stuff up if my theoretical patient, George, um, you know, really didn't get stuff done right away when I mentioned it. I'm not going to tell him he did that just to get a desired effect. But if it's already happening and it furthers my cause as well, like even the truth sometimes can be calculated. You know, I'm telling him that to increase the desired effect that, you know, I want patients when I tell them something, I want them to be more inclined to get stuff done. That being said, I'm not going to lie to them and tell them they're great at something if they're not. I'm not going to tell them they need something if they don't. But I think you can definitely lead and influence their behavior. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I don't think anybody thinks that we're being disingenuous. You know, I think it's just being calculated and um, showing staff members that they're appreciated. I saw a chart on Dentaltown one time. I think this is worth uh, derailing for a little bit. Um, And they showed, like, team members' motivation and happiness in a job and what were the key factors. And it was, like, pay, benefits, um, hours, you know, distance from home. And then actually the one that ranked number one on their list was feeling appreciated and valued out of all of those other things. And you're like, I need my staff wants all these things. But, you know, what they really want more than anything else is, again, that praising in public and private. So I think we're hitting the point hard there. Um, The next one that you talk about is know the way and show the way. Yeah. Before we go on to that, I want to add to what you just said. That chart that you alluded to, it took me a long time to realize um, that my office and my own leadership with my team, you know, in, in my mind, um, 
everyone just wanted more money. You know, they're working. They must just want more money. That'll make them happy. And that's definitely not the case. Of my five team members, I have probably three that money's a good motivator. I have two that I could probably offer them a $100 raise. And if I never said thank you, they would take the latter. Um, And another thing, you know, if there's ever issues in the office, you know, my team is great. We get along great, but we're not perfect. You know, we're still a work in progress. If there's an issue, it's rarely is money ever thrown around. It's that they don't feel appreciated. So that's, I cannot emphasize that enough. You know, if you want a team that respects you and stays engaged and listens to what you say, make them feel appreciated. You know, I think that's number one. So, all right. No more derailing. Know the way, show the way. You know, I always do my best to lead by example. I always know who's listening when I'm talking with patients and with team members. Like I, you know, I try to talk good about my team to my patients and I hope that they hear me doing that and they do the same for me, you know, and as far as leading by example, I'll turn over a room, I'll take out the trash, I'll do what needs to be done. I'll bring back a patient. You know, it's not always the coolest jobs, but when they see me for whatever reason, when they see the doctor doing those kind of things, it brings him or her down to their level. And, you know, I think it shows them that you're not above anything and that you're all in this together. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think leading by example is very, very effective. And the next one that you said, I remember this one, I kind of started. It was a communicate regularly with your team. Yeah, um, I'd say sit down with your team and ask for their feedback. Uh, You know, it may be hygienist, front desk, whatever. Every once in a while, I'll ask them, you know, could be whatever. You know, just basically letting them know, I want your opinion, I want your feedback, it matters here. For hygiene, it may be, hey, what can we do differently? What do you, do you see any bottlenecks in our new patient process? Um, do you, can you think of any questions that you would like to add on just like the list of questions that we ask new patients? Do you, you know, here's a big one that I'll ask a lot, um, kind of going back to the experience with reflection. You know, I'll ask, what could I have done better there? You know, hey, Amanda, I could tell, you know, me and that patient were driving. What do you think it is? What do I not know about them? Um, or what could I have done differently? You know, I'll ask their opinions. And they like to see that. Um, so the more valuable they feel, you know, the more engaged they will be. And I need them engaged for what we do. And you know, I think it adds value and it shows respect to your team, which increases their own self-worth. And I want my team to feel valued because they are valuable to me. So communicate with them, ask their opinions when you can, and I think it'll go a long way. And so the communication, I was thinking, um, you know, you're talking more on a daily basis kind of all the time throughout the day as opposed to like, a, you know, quarterly, monthly, whatever. Um, is that how you're referring to it? Yeah, that's how I was referring to that. You know, I think the, the other is still important too. I think we'll cover it in – topics down the road but i think in that one in regards to leadership you know was talk i was more leaning towards adding value to your team members and ensuring that they know that their opinion is always important to you correct absolutely 
So kind of the next ones are um, less about your team and more about you um, right. and your habits. I think you said the, this next one is read books about leadership. Right. Yeah, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. You know, you have to pour into yourself. I don't know one strong leader who doesn't read a lot and try to improve their game. You know, if, if you're serious about success, you're going to put in the time. And success takes sacrifice at times. Sometimes you have to turn off the TV or skip doing something fun, pick up a book, and do some self-improvement. Thankfully, now I think a lot of us can listen to books on the phone or on our phones or whatever device you have in the car, and it makes it much easier. But you've got to be pouring into yourself. And do you find that that process of almost self-evaluation um, kind of is – it, is it the specific book you read or is it more the process of you going through the process of evaluating yourself that you really feel makes the improvement? Um, I think it could be both. You know, I think it depends on what you're really going for. I have some books that like I'm reading this for this specific reason. I want to learn how to do this or I want to learn how to improve this. And some books, you know, I think a lot are just, you know, I want to expand my mindset. Um, you know, I think for me, I'm really big on mindset, um, as you know. You know, I, I know you got to push yourself. I know you got to learn. And books have helped me do that. And then, you know, for somebody else who maybe needs a little bit more than a book, you say the next one to be hire a mentor or coach. So can you kind of, we've talked about it a little bit in the first episode, but just briefly in regards to leadership. Yeah. To me, this is always big. Even before I became a coach, I would still, you know, I recommended plenty of people to do coaching. You know, some of my best friends, you know, I'd said, hey, you got to do this. It's been one of the biggest influencers in my life. And I think the relationship can be magical. People thought I was crazy for spending $50,000 on a coach early in my career, but that relationship was a major catalyst that catapulted my career. And it's continued to increase from there. And yes, they cost money, but I guarantee the cost of not having someone in your corner who has been where you're at and succeeded can cost way more in the long run than saving the few bucks of not hiring one. Absolutely. And on that same token, you talk about attending seminars as another way. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of traveling for the weekends and taking classes and seminars, but I know the time I've spent listening to those whose game is better than my own, you know, has changed my life. So again, kind of go into reading books, like you've got to decide what, you're going to do with your time. Sometimes it takes sacrifices, um, you know, but you've got to put yourself in a place where you can learn from others. And then this is one that kind of interested me was you talk about evaluating my daily schedule or your daily schedule. Um, what do you mean by that? No idea. Just kidding, George. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say, man. <laughs> um, so to me, and this is another one that I, I harp on a lot, is we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Yet some people are, are incredibly successful and some struggle to pay their bills. And I can look at someone's daily schedule, I feel, a lot of times, and with a high level of accuracy, be able to tell them where they're going to be in one year, five years, 10 years, so on. People who have, or doctors who have wildly successful practices didn't just wake up with them falling in their lap. Yes. You know, they may make it look easy at times. Um, they may appear lucky. But what you don't see is the years of struggle and hard work and 
the book readings, attending seminars, whatever it is, pouring into themselves behind the scenes when no one's watching, when no one's clapping for them, when no one's impressed with anything they're doing. And, you know, I just, I just, most people want to be so successful that they don't have to work so hard and they want to have more freedom. Yet it's ironic that people I know with the most time and financial freedom are the hardest workers I know. You've got to put in the work. And so what kind of things, like let's just say you were to look at my daily schedule, what kind of things would you be looking for and what kind of things would you want to see that would be predicators for success? Um, I think a lot of things we, we've talked about today. You know, I want to see where you're pouring your time in. Um, you know, for me, I, I always feel I'm a very hard worker. Like, you know, I, I schedule my day out. Um, to meet the goals that I have in life. Like I work Monday through Wednesday, I work, I come home, I spend time with my kids. So I put them to bed. Um, then some nights I'll get to spend some time with my wife. Then my wife goes to bed. Then I'll stay up and work on other things, you know, whether it's lifestyle practice or real estate or blah, blah, blah. When either other people are a going to bed or when other people are watching TV or when other people are out having fun with their friends, out drinking, whatever. Like, I'm not against any of that. You know, I drink sometimes. I still go out and have fun with my friends. But, you know, it's kind of that overall, um, what's the word? That Just that overall direction. You know, are you putting the time in? Are you paying your dues to learn how to improve? Did that answer? Yeah, no, it definitely didn't. I, I kind of see what you're getting at. And also reflecting on myself to see how I could improve also. Yep. And the next one that you talked about is doing something beyond yourself. So can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. What I mean by that is, you know, pushing yourself, stop doing or stop just doing the things that are comfortable. Um, do the things that maybe you don't like to do, but that can have a big impact on your practice. For instance, um, maybe having conversations with patients to get to know them, even when you don't feel like it, like, like for me, we use Sarek in the office, so I still design my crowns. Um, so I'm fairly, I can be fairly introverted by nature. Um, some people find that surprising, but you know, I'm cool with alone time doing my own thing. So, you know, when I'm designing a crown, it would be very easy for me to wheel that Sarek five, ten feet away into my office, design the crown, but. I push myself to sit there and have a conversation with the patient why I'm doing it. You know, I, I don't know them well, but I'm building that rapport. Um, I'll get personal with them. You know, I won't just say, what do you think about this weather? You know, I'll ask them, how's your family? You know, what brought you to St. Louis? You know, what you do last weekend? What do you guys like to do for fun? Um, things that I could very easily, if it was all for Justin, I could skip over, you know, but it's, when I'm trying to build a practice and set ourselves apart, it's stuff that I make myself do. And what effect do you think that has? I think it's big. You know, I think any time, and I think as we go through this little mini series, I think there's going to be a lot of times that any time I'm constantly working on trying to build my rapport with patients because I think that's where it's at. Um, you know, that's what ultimately sets my practice apart. It's not, you know, 
I think most dentists do fine dentistry. You know, there's some dentists that do really crappy dentistry and don't give a darn. There's some dentists that, you know, um, may just be a touch above other people. But for most of us in that 90% in the middle, like most of our dentistry is pretty similar. And what sets the, the really successful part is how you handle people. And every opportunity I can get to make a patient to like trust and know me better, um, I'm going to do it because I think it makes the biggest difference in my practice. Okay, so you're talking about going outside of your comfort zone or whatever's comfortable for you for the betterment of your practice or whatever your end goal is, that process of doing something beyond yourself is doing that. Correct. Okay. And on that same line of patient rapport, your next one is learning to get along with people. So are you talking about just patients there or staff also? I think both. I think everyone. You know, I think a line that I often add to that line, learn to get along with people even when you don't feel like it. Often in our success, our society, a my way or the highway approach is seen as a sign of strength. But that's not how I run my office. Do I like all of my patients? Not really. Do I act like I do? Every single time, every single day. When I'm at my offices, when I'm at my office, it's again, it's not about me or getting my way. It's about others, and in turn, this makes me more successful. People will not go along with you if they cannot get along with you. How do you feel like when you're at someone else's business and they treat you with the my way or the highway mentality? You know, At my office, we'll bend over backwards 10 different ways to make a patient happy. Do we enjoy it? No, not always. But I do, enjoying, I do enjoy having a really successful practice where I work three days a week and I get to take 10 weeks off a year. So it's a trade. Yeah. And I think that also, you know, one of those things that goes into patient leadership, you know, we talk about leadership, it's both with patients and with staff. And, you know, I think getting along with people, you know, you're thinking of your patients more than maybe your staff. Right. And I think about it. I mean, I think my examples that I use were for patients more, but it applies the same way with the team. I mean, if you, you've got to work together, you've got to lead them in your way. And if you just tell them, Hey, this is the way it is. I don't care if you like it or not. You're not going to get very far. Sometimes you have to make the hard decisions, put your foot down. But ultimately, I want to lead them in a way that, you know, aligns with what I want to do with the practice. And does that kind of go along with your next point, which is be nice? Yeah. I mean, I think that one's pretty self-explanatory as well. Be polite. You know, if you want to grow your influence as a leader, you have to grow your relationships. And in my mind running a successful dental practice is 90% people and leadership skills and 10% dentistry. Learning to build rapport quickly and confidently with your patients and team will pay you back hundreds of times more than correct line angles. Um, But I know for most of us, it's easier to work on our line angles. You know, we can just kind of get in our little zone and, and do our thing with that composite or tell the lab what to do with the crowns. Um, it's hard sometimes, a lot of the times, to put in the work to improve our interpersonal skills and put in the time to have conversations and work on our leadership skills in the office. But if you strengthen your relationships, you strengthen your influence. And you know, if you're a master at increasing the no like, and trust factor, you will never want for more patients and more dentistry to do. I really, really like that. 
I totally agree. The last one that we talked about in the course, I actually kind of, this is my favorite one. It's um, help others get what they want. Um, so why don't you go ahead and tell us what that means to you? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to the Zig Ziglar quote. I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, I think it's like if you help people get what they want, you'll have everything you want. And people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And I tell my team um, every chance I get and going back to what I mentioned in the very beginning, I think, is we don't want our patients leaving our office feeling better about us. We want them leaving the office feeling better about themselves. And that's true leadership to me when someone leaves spending time with you feeling better about themselves. And, you know, my kind of um, take on that also is when you think about your team, you know, I really want to get to know them individually and what what's their why, what's their vision, what are their goals. And I think within the framework of the practice, you can kind of, um, you know, help your team achieve whatever they want. And at the same time, you know, you're achieving what you want. Is that is that would that also apply to this or is that kind of a different topic? I think both. I think it applies. I think we also talk about that <clears throat> in a different topic, too. And I I don't think now's the time or place, but I think. To me, you've the team relationship or your relationship with your team is always a fine balance between um, being their leader and their boss, but also wanting to have some type of relationship with them. Because I can tell you that the stronger the the friendship relationship is, or the more you know, start to know about their wants and their needs for life. Um, I think the more pressure it puts on you, and I think it's it can be harder to be totally objective in all the decisions you have to make for the office. And I don't know if there's necessarily right or wrong um, in that, but I do know it's a fine line. You know, for instance, um, you know, let's, like, I really don't want to get off on a tangent here, but I just want to touch on this quick. I think it's something good to think on. Absolutely. Um, you know, is when you know your team's um, goals and visions for their life, and I would say some of my team, I probably have a good idea, and some of my team, I don't. But when you do know, again, it can be hard to remain objective when making the decisions to in your office. Not that you don't care about anyone or not that it's just, you know, it's all about Justin or George getting further in their goals. It's not, it's not like that. But you're also responsible for more than one person. You know, you may have people you might have 10 people in your office that you're ultimately responsible for and looking out for in your office and when they all have five or ten different visions or goals for their life it gets really tough you know and how do you pick and choose what if one decision you make for the office lends more to sally's goal or vision but susie's you know it furthers hers um or gets her further away um so I just think it's always a fine line. You always got to keep that in mind. I constantly deal with that. What's that line between um, having great relationships, which I feel like we do, but also being um, the boss and the leader you need to be. So, Yeah, I think that's very valuable advice. I think somebody like myself could have definitely got caught in a uh, difficult situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And you probably still will. And I have, you know, not on purpose. But, I mean, I'm, I want to be – if I'm going to be with these people – 
at work every day. I want to be friends with them. But it's just, like I said, it's it's a dance. And I think it's one that you just learn and you realize you can do some things and you can't do others. And, um, you know, you can talk to them about certain things in their life and some things you just leave alone because you don't want to get involved and you don't want to know. So, Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sorry for uh, making you go into other topics. You know, we'll get to them when we get to them. But I think we definitely hit leadership pretty good. Um, do you have anything you wanted to add to the leadership topic? Not a darn thing. <laughs> well, I think you handled it great. I just threw a bunch of things at you that I jotted down from your from your slides and your lecture. And so I uh, definitely appreciate it, Justin. I think this has been a great episode. And we'll see you again next week. All right. Thanks. Yeah.